Okay, the first thing we're going to do is uh, ask you guys to stand. We're going to read from the Word of God and to give him the reverence due his name. I ask that you join me. This is going to be a passage um, from Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 34, continuing our series on the Sermon on the Mount. And it is an honor to be able to do this. I don't take this for granted. So read along with me. Starting in verse 19 of chapter 6 of Matthew, it says this, Lay up treasures in heaven. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Verse 25. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown in the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all of these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all of these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. You may be seated. And let me just quickly pray that the Lord would bless his word for us this morning. Lord, I pray what we know not, teach us. What we have not, please give us. And what we are not, please make us. For your glory and our good, we ask this in your son's name, Jesus. Amen. Well, not going to lie, I'm a little nervous. And... I will just say right off the bat, and you'll be happy to know that I'm not going to do a musical number. So by there alone, I'm sanctifying all of us. But um, this message has definitely impacted me first. And this whole series, rather, has really been one that has really, I don't know, convicted, has challenged, has caused me to think about the way I think what I'm doing and why I am doing it. It's almost as if 
Jesus is like a surgeon cutting through my preconceived notions or excuses or what about isms um, during this series. And it's really making known the fact that neither drama, trauma, wrong thinking, excuses for wrong living, cultural relevancy, certainly political correctness, or anything else for that matter, does not get in the way of Jesus speaking on what's true, especially to the heart and the intentions thereof. And in the Sermon on the Mount, we see this progression from Jesus in speaking on certain topics. He has like this inside-out approach, it seems, where he first starts with the prerequisite attitudes, pointing out, okay, this is what will bring you the most joy, the most peace, uh, will bring you the most blessedness in life. And clearly, that's referring to the be attitudes we find in Matthew 5. Keep in mind that his audience, that who he's speaking to, are those who would claim that, oh, I'm following the Lord, I'm following Jesus, right? And so that includes us here this morning, first and, and foremost. So he does that, but then he, he clarifies that identity then. So, okay, if we claim we're following Christ, he speaks into that. He says things like, you are salt, you are light, right? So if you are these things, you should know that this is what I'm offering you, those prerequisite beatitudes. You must have these types of heart attitudes. Okay, and now, Jesus speaking, I'm about to give you what the law says, but I'm going to flip it on its head and raise the standard. So, but before he does that in verse 17 of chapter 5, he gives us some amazing news. He, he says, this. He says, I have not come to abolish the law or get rid of it, but what? To fulfill it. Okay, that's great news because that means this. The pressure is off. We don't have to fulfill the requirements that God has set in stone on those tablets and has given to the people. Jesus came to give us life and give it abundantly. He's fulfilled it. The work is finished on that cross. He's lived the perfect life. We could never uh, attain to live. In Galatians, Paul even says kind of the same thing. We just finished that series with the youth, and the Judaizers were trying to get these Galatian believers to fall back into slavery to the law, this whole thing about circumcision. But notice it, all of those types of things, even today when we start to fall back into works-based mentality of salvation, it's always an outward or external thing. And Jesus doesn't care about that anymore, right? In Romans chapter 2, verses 28 and 29, it kind of gives this picture of what Jesus is really after. And Paul says it like this. He says, for no, one who is, for no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical, but a Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart. By the Spirit, not by the letter of the law. His praise is not from man, but from God. And so, going back to this whole Sermon on the Mount thing, Jesus, this is the same thing he's after. He's after our hearts. He sets his sight on flipping the law on its head and touches on some things beneath, beneath the surface of the matter. Namely, heart attitudes that manifest in patterns of thinking and thereby translate into habits and lifestyles of living. 
Through the rest of uh, Matthew chapter 5, you see the pattern repeat itself where Jesus said, you have heard it said, and he was referring to the Torah. But then he upgrades it and gets beneath the surface of what those words say. He says, but I say to you, you shall not murder. Or you shall not murder, but I say to you. And he does this again and again and again through the rest of chapter 5. And that's what the series has been touching on many of these issues, right? But just in case you put yourself into the category of, oh, I don't struggle with those types of things. You know, I don't steal, I don't covet, I don't murder, I don't commit adultery, those external things, right? Jesus, with his all-seeing eye and his x-ray vision, as it were, um, slices through even that. You might say, I give to the poor, I tithe, I pray, I go to church, I serve, I fill in the blank with whatever you can, right? But he says that we are to be different than even that, and that's what we've kind of been um, dealing with in the last, uh, the most recent few weeks where he points out the Pharisees and says, no, but you, talking to his true followers, when you give, when you pray, when you serve, when you fast, do it like this. And the God who does see all, he will reward you in those things. Our hearts are honestly, um, when I was thinking about this, uh, uh, just a simple analogy, our hearts are like onions, layer upon layer upon layer of stuff that we don't really even realize a lot of the time that we have put in the way of God doing what he wants to do in our lives. Excuses, drama, trauma, like I said. Fear, fear of being vulnerable with the Lord. Um, Things that may have happened to us that we knowingly or unknowingly put in the way of God, freeing us totally from. And this morning I pray, my desire is that we allow God to peel back yet another layer of our hearts to expose it to his light and his life that he desires to give to us. And he's so, so good, and he's so, so gentle. He deals with us so graciously and mercifully. I know that's been the case for me in this series. So let's get into the text here, Matthew chapter 6. The first section we're going to kind of talk about here is verses 19 through 21, and the, the title of my message deals with two subject matters. This passage deals with two subject matters, wealth and worry. So I'm just going to read those few, uh, first few verses, 19 through 21 again, and then I'll comment on some of that. It says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. I used to have a phrase put into my ear as a child again and again and again by my mom, and it was something to the effect of, things aren't made like they used to be made. I don't know if some of the older generation can say the same thing, but my mom certainly said it. She's like, this piece of furniture is rubbish. They'd, like, when I was a child, our recliner lasted for 50 years, and it was made in 1910, and it's la- like all that kind of stuff, like this ironing board, this dishwasher, the appliances, they stink these days. They're not made to last. 
And yet, it's funny how in our culture, that may or may not be true. I think it is. I mean, my phone, for one, like everybody's phones, it seems as soon as you get a brand new phone, a week later, it's outdated and it's rubbish. It's obsolete. Cars, once you drive a brand new car off the lot, it depreciates in value as soon as you do that. But it's funny, though, simultaneously, it seems that our culture is so heavy-handed with security. Everywhere we go, it's under surveillance, it seems. You know, ring, ring doorbell cameras are on every front porch. Car alarms. We have safes. And those aren't necessarily bad things, but it, it just seems like we hold everything so tightly and so close to the chest. We don't want anybody to side-eye us and... I don't know, it just, we have that mentality and attitude, it seems, culturally speaking. Yeah, it's just crazy. We, we care so much about our stuff, even though it's made cheaper, ironically enough, it seems. And I'm not lost on this either. It has been ingrained into me as well. Um, just a funny little thing, like when we were, Sarah and I, when we first moved here, we lived at the camp, Twin Lakes Bible Camp, in the Narnia cabin, and I was thinking to myself, okay, well, um, everything I packed up and brought to Iowa is in this little cabin, like, so if anything happens to this stuff, I'm literally homeless. I don't have anything to my name except a car and the shirt on my back. And so I was like, okay, well, I, I want to be smart about this. I texted Scott Larson. I'm like, hey, man, do you have, like, a key for this place just in case? And he's like, okay, city boy, yeah, we'll get you a key. <laughs> You know, um, I guess that's not so much of a thing out here. I'm hearing time and time again, like, oh, yeah, I just left my keys in my car. I'm like, that's weird where I'm from. That's asking for someone to rob you. <laughs> but um, is this not telling of our hearts, though, this general uh, cultural idea to protect everything so, so uh, vigilantly? It's not wrong to have things. That's not what I'm saying here. I don't think that's what Jesus is saying here. But I think Jesus is asking us the question, do your things have you? I'm pretty sure I've mentioned that before. But do your things own you? Do they own your heart? And this leads me to the first spiritual application. In this section, there's three. The first one is this. Because this life is temporary, store up treasure in heaven where it's eternal. Spend your time, your energy, your affection, yes, even your finances, all of it, everything that makes you, you. Look to the eternal, where it can't disappear, it can't be stolen, it doesn't fade. Unlike our things down here, like I said, they depreciate in value so fast. And it's so, we, we should hold everything that has been given us loosely, knowing that it has been given by God to us to steward for only a temporary time. Paul says, what, have you what do you have that you have not received? Why, therefore, do you boast as if you have not received it, right? There's a point that drives us home really well. It's found in Luke chapter 12, 16 to 21. It's the parable Jesus speaks of, of the rich fool. And I just want to tell you guys this, this parable because I, I really do, do think it's convicting, number one, but it really drives home this point. And it says, um, and he told them, Jesus, a parable saying, the land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. 
I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. I want to stop there for one second. It's, we read that and we're like, what's wrong with that statement? There's nothing seemingly wrong on paper about that. He's, he's actually being wise. He's being smart. He's planning ahead. He's like, okay, I want to be a good steward of this. Seemingly, right? But Jesus, again, cuts through all of that and speaks to the heart issue. Verse 19 says, and I will say to my soul, mm, uh-oh, here's where he goes wrong. Soul. You have ample goods laid up for many, many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, fool, this very night your soul is required of you and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up, here's that phrase, treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Mark chapter 8 verse 36 says the same thing. A little, a little differently, but I think even more pointedly. Listen to this. Jesus says, For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in glory of his Father with the holy angels. I don't know about you, but I don't want to be considered in that party. Not in that category. And again, I'm not trying to guilt us. I'm not trying to make it sound like it's bad to plan ahead or to steward or to own things. That's not what I'm saying. But where's your heart attitude in this? Is it on the eternal? Or is it on the things of this world and things of just this life? And just because you follow Jesus doesn't mean you aren't tempted to fall into the worldly category. There's two types of people. The first is the one like the rich fool in Luke 12. But then there's a contrast here found in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 9. This, in 1 Peter, gives us what we should hopefully have as a heart attitude, right? It says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the, from the dead. Verse 4, look at this. To an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power, I think I want to trust him and his power over my own, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice. In this you rejoice. Though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith more precious than gold, that, that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to the result in the praise and glory of, and honor of, at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Which kind of person are you? Are you a Luke chapter 12 type person or are you a 1 Peter chapter 1 type person? Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. I'm going to move on to verses 22 and 23. And this is kind of a weird section. And I admit it was actually really on face value when I first read this. And I was like, this seems like out of place. He's talking about eyes and lamps and darkness and light. And I was kind of confused. So this is where I had to do a little bit more digging. And the first thing I want to point out is that verses 19 through 21 talk about treasure, storing up treasure in heaven. Verse 24 speak on serving. You can't serve two masters. You will either serve God and money, and we'll get to that. So this 22 and 23 
you have to put it, in, it's sandwiched in the context of talking about wealth. So, what is this actually saying? Let's read it, and then I'll explain what I think it means, what I believe it does mean. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? It sounds like a riddle. And what this actually is, is a Hebraic expression, an idiom, a a, a phrase that is meant to give uh, truth in a different way. And the way that we can figure this out is interpreting scripture with scripture. So there's a couple proverbs that I believe help us understand what this, these couple verses are actually saying and what Jesus is actually trying to tell us here. Proverbs 22.9 says, Whoever has a bountiful eye will be blessed, for he shares his bread with the poor. Only a proverb later, we see this. Do not eat the bread of a man who is stingy. Do not desire his delicacies. And as you see on the screen, I put the the literal translation of this is, do not eat the bread of an evil-eyed person. So what this is saying is, if the eye is whole or healthy, that equals being generous, giving or being selfless. If the eye is bad, it equals meaning we are greedy, envious, selfish, or stingy. Okay, now let's apply this to what we see in verses 22 and 23 then. What I believe this passage is saying is this. How you are in this area of being generous or selfish is a reflection or a window into your heart as a whole. That's what it means when it says the eye is a lamp. Think about this window. If this whole entire sanctuary was dark and the sun as it is shining today shines through that window It's as if it's a light or a lamp or a flashlight inside of this room. And that's what it's saying here is the eye, meaning selfishness or or, um, selflessness, it's just a reflection of your heart and how you are in this area. It's a symptom. If you happen to be a generous person or a selfish person, it's a reflection of where you are at with a lot of other areas of life. That's what I believe this is saying, and and Jesus is asking us and hoping to get through to us that it's more blessed to give than to receive. Be selfless. Like the stuff that we have, like I said, hold it loosely because it's not going to last forever anyway, so we might as well show the watching world as followers of Jesus that we should be the most generous type of people on this planet because we ourselves have received generously by God's grace his son, his righteousness, a plan for redemption and salvation. How could we not, therefore, as a response in adoration and love for this Jesus, be the same way to others, right? That's what this is saying. An example of the opposite, again, is the story of the rich young ruler. He went away sad because his wealth was great. He said, Lord, good teacher, he said, actually, what must I do to, to inherit eternal life? I have done X, Y, Z. I've, I've done all the commandments. And Jesus says, looking at him and loving him, he said, you lack one thing. Go and sell all that you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Come and follow me. And disheartened by this, he went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. This leads to Matthew 6, 24. It's kind of 
a phrase that is there. It's, it's face value. It's easy to understand. No one can serve two masters for either, either he will hate the one and love the other or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. And he says it pretty bluntly here. You cannot serve both God and money. I had an opportunity. Sarah and I have had a chance. Well, we didn't have a chance. We, we ended up attending a multi-level marketing meeting, MLM, a.k.a. a pyramid scheme meeting. Um, the, the context of how we ended up there doesn't matter. I was not involved, if that's what you're thinking, <laughs> at all. But we went, and like they made it sound so good. And for a split second, for like 1.5 seconds, I was like, maybe I should do this. And immediately, I, I, I kid you not, like this verse by the Holy Spirit came into my mind immediately, and... and um, I was already on the trajectory of what I knew I wanted to do with my life. And the Lord told me, no, you can't serve both me and this thing. Uh, John chapter 2, verses 15 through 17 says, Do not love the world or the things in this world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. I'm going to skip the quote I had. I'm going to just give us the third application then for this section. It says, we should serve God with our money, not serve money itself. Um, I pray that the Holy Spirit uses this section in our lives accordingly how he wills it. I'm not trying to guilt us. I'm just, this is what the passage says. So let's move on in the last few minutes to this other area. A lot of times, they are interconnected, but it's about worry or anxiety or fear, maybe. And it says in verse 25 through 27, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is, life, is not life more than food, the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. And then he says this, and he asks the rhetorical question, are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? I think, to one degree or another, we all struggle with this, different levels, some People struggle so much so that it's debilitating that they can't get up in the morning. Then there's other, others of us like me who getting up here and speaking to a crowd, it gives me some anxiety. I have some nerves, definitely. But when it comes to this area, <clears throat> I love the, the word picture he gives, the birds of the air. They neither gather nor store up excess of anything in advance or otherwise, and yet they have what they need. If anything, that speaks to the spiritual truth that God provides, Amen. Does he not provide for us? Psalm says, I think, I was young, but now I am old, but I have not seen the righteous forsaken or him lack bread in the land or something to that effect. I'm paraphrasing. And for me, this idea of anxiety actually directly intertwines with the financial state of things. I always am worried about, okay, will we have enough? Will this... Uh, give us enough, will we be able to pay our bills and that kind of thing. And I'm so grateful for my other half, Sarah, who's the opposite in this way. And she's always being the generous one. I hate to admit that, like you're a pastor, you should be generous. Well, yes, but I think God gives us helpers in certain areas of our personality. And Sarah is helping me with being generous and to not worry, to not be anxious because my anxiety definitely can lead into me being stingy. So I'm grateful for that. <clears throat> 
but he provides. Matthew 7, 11, if you, then who, if you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly father who is in heaven give good gifts to those who ask? Sometimes we just need to ask. Sometimes we just think, oh yeah, God's on his throne. I'll just wait for the Lord to rain down upon me blessing. That's, that's true and he does do that sometimes, but a lot of times he just wants us to ask him. Sometimes where we get stuck in this whole, oh yeah, he's sovereign, so much so that it stumps us from actually approaching him. And actually, that's what he wants more so, is for us to depend on him and to ask him childlike faith, right? Philippians 4, 6 through 8 is probably the main scripture that came to mind in dealing with this whole thing about anxiety. And I know that um, because of communion, I'm cut short on time. I'm gonna try to go through this efficiently, but I also don't wanna rush these things. It says this, though, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, why does it have to say everything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence or anything worthy of praise, think about these things. You know, feelings make a great check engine light. You know, the little thing that comes on your dashboard and says, there's a problem going on. Feelings are like that, right? They're indicators, but they make a horrible GPS. They, they should not be leading you. That's why I think the, the writer of Philippians, Paul, says, think about these things. And it's, it's not, it's, it, it doesn't come naturally to us. We have to put an effort to focus our attention back on God, back on the cross, back on the things that are eternal rather than temporary. I struggle with this. But I think one thing that we can do, no matter what level of anxiety we do end up feeling from time to time, is to stop wherever we are in the moment and name three things right there and then of what you could and should be thankful for. Most often than not, you'll think of things that are eternal, not temporary. Maybe they are things that God has provided, though. But I encourage us all all to have replacement of that anxiety. It can't just be like, I'm going to stop cold turkey. No, you have to replace it with something else a lot of the time. Matthew 6, 28 through 32 kind of goes more into this, gives another illustration the, the flowers of the field, they neither toil nor spin, but I tell you, Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like any one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown in the oven, here's another rhetorical question. Will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? I love it how Jesus just calls us out for what we are. A lot of times we just have little faith or not a lot of faith. He lovingly does it. But don't take lightly the discipline of the Lord either. He disciplined those whom he loves. So if he is challenging you in this way, that means he actually cares about where you're at. We know that we are set apart from the world and that we should be set apart from the world. And this passage and all the subsequent passages that we've been going through in all these different areas of divorce, forgiveness, religious activities, they are meant to cut through to the heart and to challenge us if we claim to be Jesus followers to act like we are like who we're supposed to be this is who you are now act like it in other words and then that famous verse in verse 33 seek first his kingdom 
and his righteousness and all of these other things that we worry about will be added to you. Another spiritual application I get from this. When we take care of the things God is concerned about, he takes care of the things we are concerned about. Easier said than done. I'm with you on that. I'm reminded of Mary and Martha in Luke chapter 10, where she gets it reversed. And the story of Mary and Martha goes something like this. You know, Jesus entered a village. Martha welcomes him into her house. And her sister Mary, all she was doing was sitting at the Lord's feet. And Martha gets frustrated by this. She's trying to host. She's trying to do her thing. And she actually boldly comes before the Lord and kind of complains. I don't know if it was like in front of everybody or like pulled him aside. And Jesus, don't you care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her to help me. (laughs) The Lord says this, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away. Honestly, and I needed to hear this first and foremost, and I'd struggle with this, I really do. Don't, Don't let your, even your service for God distract you from being with God. Some of us need to apply this to our lives this morning. Slow down and sit at Jesus' feet. That's the good portion that's coming from Jesus himself. We can get so busy doing so many other things, and inherently they're not bad things, they're good things, right? But Jesus doesn't care about so much of what we do if we're doing it at the expense of knowing him in a deeper way. Be in the present. Don't let life just pass you by. Don't just float along this thing of life. Get bogged down by all the distraction, all the things of this world, the possessions. Jesus is after our hearts because he knows that once he has our hearts, he has our finances, he has our jobs, he has our bodies physically, he has our relationships, he has our sexuality, he has our marriages, he has our children, he has our houses, our cars, our choices. He has our desires, our goals, our dreams, our frustrations, and yes, our anxieties. He has it all. He has it all. And we sang that this morning. All to Jesus, I surrender. All to you, I freely give. I hope that's the heart cry of each one of us this morning. And if it's not, I pray that the Lord does what he has to do in our hearts. I'll close with the lyrics to a song that resonated with me greatly and powerfully this past week. It was uh, from the band Casting Crowns. I really like that band. They tend to combine amazing theology and lyrics into a pretty catchy sounding song. And the song Just Be Held came on on my shuffle list. And I don't think it was a coincidence or an accident. The Lord knew I was gonna be speaking on this passage. And he's like, let me remind you, Daniel, of what this should look like in your life. So I was like, okay, well, I'm gonna share it with you guys, the, the, the lyrics of this song. And then we'll close. It says, hold it all together. Everybody needs you strong. But life hits you out of nowhere and barely leaves you holding on. And when you're tired of fighting, chained by your control, there's freedom and surrender. Lay it down. Let it go. So when you're on your knees and answers seem so far away, you're not alone. Stop holding on and just be held. 
Your world is not falling apart. It's fallen into place. I love that. The sovereignty of God and the providence of God is on full display in our lives. I'm on the, I'm on the throne. Stop holding on and just be held. Verse 2 says, if your eyes are on the storm, you wonder if I love you still. But if your eyes are on the cross, you know I always have and I always will. Not a tear is wasted. In time, you'll understand. I'm painting beauty with the ashes. Your life is in my hands. Lift your hands, lift your eyes. In the storm is where you'll find me. And where you are, I'll hold your heart. And this is my declaration to those who may have not done this ever in their life, but the last lyrics of this song say this, come to me and find your rest in the arms of the God who won't let go. For the believer who has put their trust and faith in Christ, that's a continual thing. We have to continually come to Jesus and offer him our hearts. And just because we have given him our hearts doesn't mean we haven't rented out specific rooms or spaces in our hearts to other things in this world. The riches, the, the desires of the flesh, whatever, you name it, that's specific to you. And so if that's you this morning, that is my desire that this morning we fully surrender every room, every space of our heart. And like I said, if you've never trusted in Jesus, today is the day of salvation to offer him your whole entire life in your heart. Come to me, he says, and find your rest in the arms of the God who won't let go. I'm going to pray and I'm going to ask the worship team to come up. I'm going to ask the elders and other people that um, are leaders to come up and be available for people to pray. And I'm going to let the Holy Spirit do what he wants in response to this message for us here this morning. Let us pray together, please. Lord, I thank you for your word how it transcends the heart's intentions and our thoughts. They are all visible to you and exposed to you, whether we realize it or not, Lord. And Lord, I pray that as you gently call us back to yourself in whatever way we need to this morning, help us to find encouragement. Help us to find your conviction of your spirit to lead us into repentance that leads to joy, that leads to life. Some of us just need tangible ways to express how we actually are doing and feeling, Lord. I thank you for this church and this body of believers that so willingly holds their arms open wide for us to divulge the secrets of our hearts and the vulnerabilities of our personalities and things of that nature. God, I pray that we would all be unified as only your spirit can, can do. Please, Lord, Give us a greater glimpse of your goodness. Help us to rest. Help us to just sit and rest and learn at your feet. To just be held, not to strive, not to kick against your will. You're after our hearts, not our actions done for you. Lord, we can't wait for that day when we will see you face to face and we'll be with you. You have gone ahead and prepared a place for us. Lord, help us in the meantime to offer every, everything. And we, and we promise, we, in our finite way, we, we, we desire to give you full reign. Have your way, Lord, we ask in your name, Jesus.
Amen.